This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you're watching on DirecTV, channel 378, uh, the NRB Network, or if you're listening on AM820, The Truth, here in the Salt Lake area, we welcome you. And if you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter on television, uh, they can go to hotm.tv and watch the streaming video from anywhere in the world. Every single week, God willing, we meet at the University of Utah for a verse-by-verse Bible study. We have a great group of people who come from all walks, good fellowship, and we learn the Word together from 2.30 to 3.30. Go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information like times and directions. And then from 1 to 2 on Sundays, you can tune into AM820, uh, The Truth, and listen to Heart of the Matter replays uh, as you drive into the Bible study if you want Hey, you've heard of I Was a Born Again Mormon. This book is available at Lifeway Christian Bookstores, Christian Gift and Bible, Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, Utah Lighthouse Ministry, Oasis Books in Logan, Gift of Grace in Springville, Living Word Bookstore in Twin Falls, Idaho, Christian Center Books in Park City, and of course online at uh, hotm.tv. Well, after nearly six years, uh, I finally finished another book for your consideration. The title of the book uh, is taken from the words of Jesus himself. I think we have a graphic for it. And it says, uh, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. The subtitle to that book reads, it's right down here. It says, a believer's refusal to join popular Christian culture. A believer's refusal to join popular Christian culture. Of course, this book is available at www.hotm.tv. That's If My Kingdom of This World, Then My Servants Would Fight. Available at our website uh, now. Check it out, especially as we are preparing for our up-and-coming 2011 year of Heart of the Matter shows. As we're drawing close to the end of this year, we have two more shows left. I want to take a minute and privately, or publicly, excuse me, thank a man I've never met, Andreas in Norway. Years ago, Andreas sent us an email asking if he could post Heart of the Matter segments on YouTube, and we said, yes, go ahead. We didn't even know what YouTube was, and he's posted over 1,600 clips of this show 
uh, they're all available there, all because a man, a young man, uh, had it on his heart to start up a, a little ministry. And he, that's really his own ministry there on, uh, on YouTube. Thank you, Andreas, for your love uh, for the LDS and your willingness to follow the Lord. Then we have staff who, are, uh, who selflessly serve in the ministry in a number of capacities, uh, and they keep the show and the ministry alive. I am merely the front man. I have the easy job. I do it. I disappear. I do it. I disappear, you know. Everybody else is doing the things behind the scenes. So I want to thank the camera people, Anthony and Natalie, our phone operators, Danita, Linda, and Crystal, graphics girl extraordinaire, Brandy, Girl Friday, Kathy, Maggie, Christian women's host and Heart for Israel person, Allison, and show director, just a Superb director, Merle, who's been here for the long haul. Thank you, Micah, for your excellent internet work. Uh, Derek C., for your email support. Thank you, Brandon and Kara, for your devoted Christian insights. And for Sean, for his constant and uh, excellent photographic work. Thank you, the Webster family, who does everything that I don't do, and that's a big job. And thank you, Cassidy, my personal assistant and filmmaker uh, extraordinaire, and Mallory and Delaney, my daughters, who I could not be more proud. Thank you to all of our viewers, all of our friends, our partners who support the ministry, and all of those in our weekly Bible study uh, group who are the salt of the earth and uh, love them to death. And thank you, Mary, for enduring years of me. And, uh, and the Lord, uh, I thank you for giving us life and this ministry uh, to share this life with others. So with that, let's have a word of prayer. God in heaven, uh, I need you tonight. We all do as we uh, seek to understand this topic on tithing and uh, pray that you'll be with our viewers and listeners, that you'll open up our minds and ears to your truth and uh, bless our uh, uh, staff and our audiences here and out there in TV land and help with the technical difficulties that come in. We pray for this, Lord, in your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Tithing, controversial in the Christian church, uh, demanded in Mormonism if you want to qualify for a number of different things. Let me start off by telling you what those things are in Mormonism. First, Mormonism teaches that tithing is an eternal principle. Uh, like polygamy is an eternal principle. LDS prophet Brigham Young stated point blank in Discourses of Brigham Young, pages 177, the law of tithing is eternal. This means uh, that it is God's requirement eternally on all people. And in layman's terms, it means that a person needs to pay 10% to God, and this principle has always existed, it was not even authored by God, and that it will never go away. That's what Brigham Young meant when he said it's an eternal principle. Secondly, Mormon doctrine teaches that is, they teach that if you pay 10% of your annual income to the Mormon church, you will not be burned up when Jesus returns to the earth. Now, I'm not kidding you. Uh, in the LDS Scriptures, Doctrine and Covenants 64, 23 through 24, Joseph Smith supposedly received a revelation where God himself said, here's the quote, Behold, now it is called today until the coming of the Son of Man, and verily it is a day of sacrifice and a day of the tithing of my people. For he that is tithed shall not be burned at his coming. 
For after today cometh the burning. This is speaking after the manner of the Lord. For verily I say tomorrow, all the proud and they that do wickedly shall be as stubble and I will burn them up. For I am the Lord of hosts and I will not spare any that remain in Babylon. Okay, as a result of this revelation, Mormons believe that if you pay a full tithe, 10% of your income, God will not torch you when he returns to earth, when Jesus returns to earth. Thirdly, if you're looking for an assurance as a member of the LDS church that you will never apostatize, uh, guess what you need to do? You need to pay your tithing. That's right. According to Joseph F. Smith, according in the, written in the teaching of the presidents of the church, it says, or he said, quote, a man or a woman who will always pay his or her tithing will never apostatize. It is God's requirement, and he said that those who do not observe it are not worthy of an inheritance in Zion. No man will ever apostatize so long as he will pay his tithing. Why? Listen to this. Because as long as he has faith to pay his tithing, he has faith in the church and in principles of the gospel, and there is some good in him and some light in him. As long as he will do this, the tempter, meaning Satan, will not overcome him and will not lead him astray, end quote. So uh, there's the other one. Don't want to apostatize? Make sure you always pay your tithing. Fourth, the promise the LDS make to those who pay their tithing is that heaven will pour down or pour out their blessings upon them if they do. LDS sacrament meetings are full of stories of old women who have a $200 electric bill due and they also owe $200 in tithing and that they choose to pay the $200 to the electric bill and then lo and behold, some, from some miraculous place, $200 comes uh, that they paid for the, uh, for the electric bill and then another 100 or 200 comes from some other, so they're multiplied, multiplied, blessed. We hear that from televangelists, you know, if you pay this amount, you know, God is going to grant you great increase. Pay to us and you'll get this increase, especially in your financial uh, situation. Now, I'm not saying the LDS say that it's a financial uh, blessing, but usually that's inferred. Confirming this promise, 8th LDS President Heber J. Grant, quoting a passage of scripture found in the book of Malachi, which is in the Old Testament, he said, I am a firm believer that faith without works is dead, and I am a firm believer that the Lord meant what he said when he promised to open the windows of heaven and pour down a blessing upon us if we would pay our tithing, end quote. Finally, and fifth in the line of why tithing is mandated in Mormonism, a Latter-day Saint must pay a full tithe uh, if they are ever going to be asked to serve in the more responsible uh, roles in the Mormon wards and stakes and in the hierarchy. It's not that they make paying tithing the qualifier to be called to be a bishop or a stake president or stake high council or apostle or any of that, but instead they make being a temple recommend holder the requirement. And um, the only way to get a temple recommend is you got to pay your tithing. So at 10th LDS President Joseph Fielding Smith said in the 1940 April General Conference, listen, how do you feel when you give a temple recommend to a person to come into our temples who pays no tithing, only, uh, who only pays half a tithing? How do you feel after this? You will feel that you are taking a sacred responsibility in doing that which God does not approve. 
He, meaning God, has said that a man who fails to pay his tithing shall have no place among the people of God. So there's the LDS position on tithing. Uh, Is it true? Uh, Are believers, Christians, expected by God to pay 10% of their annual income in order to be worthy enough to be called or included in the people of God? Are Bible-believing Christians expected to pay a minimum of 10% to the church that they belong to? Now, when it comes to the absolute hypocrisy of LDS finances and their empire and, and tithe pain, I'm sitting on literally 65 full typed pages of evidence and research that will blow your mind about LDS finances and tithing. But I'm going to use this research in the 2011 shows and the analysis of the Mormon kingdom here on earth. Uh, Tonight, it doesn't make much sense for me to attack the LDS positions on tithe pain when there are many, many Bible-believing Christians, pastors included, who believe things that like 10% is a minimum for a Christian to give. I've heard that from Christian people's mouths and in emails they've sent us. Or who use the word tithing, you know, pay your tithes here. We're going to take an offering for your tithes now uh, when they are talking uh, to their congregates on uh, giving donations. Because we know where the LDS stand relative to tithing, that a member must pay it essentially if they want to be pleasing to God and to their fellow men, I think we should explore what tithing really is from a biblical perspective and see whether it plays a role in the life of a believer today or not. Then we'll deal with Mormon tithing and finance in detail in 2011. Now, as a warning, Our ministry has literally lost supporters over my position on this topic as some believers insist on calling their financial contributions tithing as well as stating that it is the minimum amount a Christian ought to give. Uh, At the risk of losing more supporters, I still beg to differ. The tithe was a requirement of the law in which all Israelites were to give 10% of everything they earned or grew to the temple or to the tabernacle. References for that are found in Leviticus and Numbers, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy and 2 Chronicles. But as a matter of fact, the Old Testament law required multiple tithes, uh, three in fact, and uh, of the children of Israel. One was a tithe for the Levites. One was a tithe they paid that would go to the temple and to their great feasts. And one was a tithe for the poor that were in the land. So these demands would actually have pushed the total to around 23.3%, not the 10%, which is generally considered tithe or a tenth part today. I mentioned this just to point out to the LDS who are watching that they're not even close to meeting the Old Testament demands that God said and laid out for the children of Israel to obey. So let me offer five main reasons why the word tithe and or mandatorily paying tithing is not part of Christianity today. Okay, Number one, making a percentage of a Christian's income part of mandatory minimal giving flies completely in the face of the liberty all believers have in Christ, okay? 
Our Lord accomplished all things on the cross. He, all things were fulfilled by him and completed in him. And as beneficiaries of his free gift, we too are freed, we are released, we are completely at liberty from all aspects of religious legal demands. Um, a day of the week for worship, a holy day of the week, done, gone. Certain rites and rituals to have ourselves cleaned, gone. Uh, specific prayers, holy day observances, clothing styles, things you can eat and drink, gone, baby, gone. Okay? To reincorporate a mandatory minimum for the uh, forgiving, it just flies in the face of what it means to be saved by grace. Uh, I would even go so far as to call such things counter good news. Okay, there's the first point. Number two, tithing in terms of it being a demand upon believers uh, to obey, remember, is nowhere mentioned in the New Testament. Tithing in terms of it being a demand upon believers to obey is nowhere mentioned in the New Testament. The word itself, whether it be tithe, tithes, or tithing, is found seven times in what we would consider, what many people consider the New Testament, from Matthew all the way to Revelation. And it's mentioned once in Matthew, twice in Luke, and four times in the book of Hebrews. All right, in Matthew and in Luke, the references are Jesus telling the scribes and the Pharisees, children of Israel, that they were hypocrites for the way that they tithed. So it's mentioned there. And then the second reference in Luke was a Pharisee who was standing in the midst of professing how good he is, says in Luke 18, 12, why I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I possess. Okay, so those are the, the, the instances there. And then the four Hebrew references in the book of Hebrews, they're consecutive verses. And in those, they're merely referencing the fact that tithes were paid uh, to the Levitical priests and not to teach that tithing was something that Christians were supposed to obey. Those are the only instances in which the tithe, tithing, or tithes are mentioned in the New Covenant. Nothing in the New Testament instructs a, a believer to embrace tithing. If so important, if this was so important in the New Testament economy, I am certain that Peter, through Paul, and all the apostles in between would have certainly laid down some declarative message. And Christians... Bring your tithes to the church. Not so, ever. Okay, so nowhere in the New Testament is tithing commanded or even recommended to Christians as a part of a legalistic system. But Paul does say that a believer should set aside a portion, that's how he puts it, of their income in order to support the church. That's in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 2. And But 10%, which is the tithe, is not associated with this passage at all. Now, certainly the New Testament talks about the importance of giving and the benefits of the free will gift, okay? And believers are to give as they are led and as they are able. Sometimes this means giving more than 10%. Sometimes this means giving less. It all depends on the ability of the Christian, the needs of the church, but most importantly, how a person's heart is led by God for them to give. Every Christian should diligently pray and seek God's wisdom in how much they give. But most importantly, and above all, all tithes and offerings should be given with a pure motive of, listen to this, worshiping God. That's what you give the tithes for. 
giving is a form of worship to God. Just like when you pray and, and, or you sing and you're worshiping God, your giving is in the same line within the August uh, uh, volume of the New Testament. Giving is a form of worship. And so if you think about that, giving could never, should never be formulaic. Giving should never be based on a percentage, just like worship cannot be formulaic. You shouldn't be worshiping God in a set, strict way. Your worship should be coming from your heart, just like your giving should be coming from your heart. One of the New Testament passages regarding giving, however, is found in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. And this is all it says. Ready? Each man, woman, should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, okay? Nothing about fire insurance there, nothing about making a person worthy, nothing about insuring against apostasy, just cheerful giving. Now, the LDS will say that God did make a promise to the Israelites in Malachi, and he'll say, uh, uh, but that audience was not to the Christian believer. How can I say this? We are told in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 22, that for Christians, where the old covenant was one way and it was a good way, to Christians, there is a better way. And that better way is what Paul was describing and just giving of your heart and getting rid of all those percentages. All right, number three. The fact that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek cannot somehow mean that Christians ought to do the same. Okay? Uh, This is a heavy topic, so I'm going to try to kind of summarize it. The best way for you to understand it is to go and read Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 through 20. But here's the deal. Many Christians will say, before Moses talked about tithes in the law, Abraham gave 10% to Melchizedek. That was a tithe. Therefore, it is an eternal law, and therefore it is applicable to Christians today. You have to really read what happens there, and I'm going to kind of summarize it for you now. Abraham, he went to battle against four kings who invaded Sodom and Gomorrah. And they stole his nephew, kidnapped him, and took them with him, along with all the booty, okay? So Abraham goes and he gets some guys, 361 or something, plus some more allies, and he goes to war, and he gets all of the booty back, all right? And he's coming back with all that booty, and he made a covenant, you'll read that, that he was not personally going to keep any of it. He was going to give it back to the king of Sodom, and he was going to give it back to their allies. He personally said, I will not keep a cent of it. So it wasn't his money to begin with. Abraham had plenty of money in another place in time. So did Lot. So Abraham didn't get his prosperity from paying tithes. He gave a percentage of the booty to Melchizedek. Now here's the thing. That lesson is not a lesson on why we should pay tithes. That lesson from Abraham is a lesson on free will giving. Abraham, we have no a message in that story where God says anywhere to Abraham, pay 10%. Never. Abraham gave it willingly 
out of his heart and he gave this 10%. That's the reason. So you can't use that as a law to show that Abraham paid tithes. Therefore, Christians need to pay tithes too. Okay, number four, the fact that Jacob vowed to pay a tenth to the Lord in no way means Christians ought to do the same. Okay, this too was prior to Moses, um, Moses and the law. Jacob, it's, there's two stories of tithe prior to the law. Abraham was one, Jacob's the second. Why? Because Jacob goes to God, this is so Jacob-like too, and he makes a vow promising God a tenth of all he had if, if God will be with him and watch over him in his journey. Okay, this is not how free will offerings are paid. And we as a Christian church are under to give from our heart. We don't bargain with God and say, God, I'm going to give to the church if you help me pay my bills. I'm not going to pay the church if you'll pour out the windows of heaven upon me. You give because you love the Lord and you want to do what he wants you to do with what you've been given. Number five, final one, the fact that the widow paid her might as found in the gospels cannot somehow mean that Christians must pay tithing, okay? Because many Christians will use that. Jesus was showing the example of the widow's might. This is going to blow your minds, I think. Contrary to popular belief, the widow's mite story is not an example for believers to follow. No widow ought to be paying her last mite into the till unless as so directed by God in this day and age. But now no widow should be putting her last mite in. Now churches around the world will say, they'll use the story of the widow's mite to say, you see, now you too, Put your last in, even if you're struggling, even if you're a widow or your father's, you're an orphan. You put your last in and God will see that and that proves. But that is not the context of the story of the widow's might. What the, the context is, is actually quite amazing. You see, in the Old Testament, God said, always had provisions that were to take care of the widows, the fatherless, and the orphans. Do not... And he always made provisions for them to be cared for, never for them to be pain. You understand that? And so Jesus in that, um, in that uh, story, he tells, he in, oh, I've just got to say it. Let me get to it. Sorry. What happens is if you read the story of the widow's might, you will read that Jesus says before he teaches, before he observes her, this is what he says. Watch out for teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces. And they have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. He says, they devour widows' houses. And for a show, make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Jesus is an excellent teacher. He says this. The next thing he does is he goes to the temple and he watches this widow go in and put this into the temple thing. And he says she has paid more than all of these guys combined. Why? Because her heart was right, but that it was not a directive by Jesus to say, look at her faith. It was showing that they were devouring widows' houses through their religiosity. We see that happen today too, where they will use these passages out of context to convict people to pay tithes and to feel like they are too going to please God and they will be rewarded for their faithfulness. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't reward people who do sacrifice. It's an offering of sacrifice, just like worship is. But nevertheless, as believers, we are to give freely to widows, 
to the fatherless and to the poor for their needs. They should not be heaped something on their back where they should be giving to the church even if it's their last few dollars. Mormon church, you should listen to that because you yoke them with a bondage and you make them feel like they need to do that when the Old Testament clearly lays out that they need to be the recipients of this money, not the payees. When we understand that God, what God wants us to do relative to these finances, this is what will happen. You won't feel guilty about the amount you give. You won't feel guilty about the amount you're not able to give. You won't feel like you are more special to God because you are in a position to give more. You won't feel less special to God because you can't give as much. And you won't try to make up for not being able to pay a whole bunch of money by becoming a slave to the institution and making it up by pulling the weeds of the church or knitting socks or, or, or leading the, the, the choir. People are incorrectly taught that it is a good thing to give up all they have to their local church institution if they are in desperate need. They ought to be the recipients. Often the story of the widow's might proves the opposite. The Mormons and often Christians too have utilized what happened with the widow in the widow's might story uh, to the disadvantage of the people who are in their congregations. Jesus, my friends, brings total freedom. Freedom to worship him as you please. Freedom to live and the absolute total freedom to give whether it be nothing, whether it be a little, or whether it be a lot. May it come from the heart. With that, let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. While the operators are clearing your calls, LDS callers, please, first-time callers, uh, please, and, uh, and uh, turn down your TV sets. Um, but while they're clearing your calls, you'll notice I have this... That's the noise camels make, by the way. Um, this beautiful hand carved, can she zoom in on that, Natalie? This beautiful hand carved dromedary. And look at that thing. Look at that. All the way from Israel, handcrafted. Look at, he's got little pots on there. And uh, I'll put some water in there for you if you're interested. I'm just kidding. Anyway, these are great gifts. Now, I'm terrible at selling, but I can say this these are really nice. And I think they're beautiful. And, and if you're interested in looking for products like this for your friends or family, go to hotm.tv. We have a website there and the proceeds go to help Israel. They help the ministry and they help you. You too can play with your camel. Yeah! Here, here on, the, on your home table, just like I do when I get home at night. Okay. Uh, and then also uh, Aletheia Ministries, is a 501c3 tax-exempt corporation. Just kidding. Corporation. And uh, what that means in this last month of the year is that if you have needs for a tax write-off uh, and you are led by the Lord, please, to contribute to the ministry, you can write it off from your taxes. It helps us. And you can go to hotm.tv and figure out how to do uh, that if the Lord so leads. So, okay, um, there's a question here. What do you have to do to become a Mason? Uh, I think if memory serves, uh, just from reading about it, I think you have to be invited by a Mason. 
And I think um, once that invitation set, they used to gather around in a circle and they would hold balls in their hands, uh, a, a white ball or a black ball, and they would hold it like this and someone would say, should uh, this person be a Mason? And if they dropped their uh, black ball, that meant no, 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 no. And if they dropped the white ball, that meant yes, 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 yes. And then if you're invited to come in, then you, are, you go through all the steps. I think that's how it happens. If a Mason wants to call and tell us, we'll go like that. How much money does an LDS missionary have to pay to have his election and calling made sure? It doesn't work that way, just to be fair to the LDS. You can't pay uh, as a missionary to have your calling and election made sure. Uh, the calling and election made sure, for those of you who don't know, is when you are called into the temple to receive what they say your second anointing, and that means your salvation is assured when you die, that you are certain that you are going to re, uh, be able to live with God the Father again. And I can tell you a quicker way to do it, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have your calling and election, sure. And you go straight to him like that. Uh, this one says, the caller says she knows a plastic surgeon who doesn't believe in the LDS church, but joined anyway to save his marriage. Since joining, his business has tripled in profit. Do the LDS network or what? They certainly do. And I want to tell you something. We've been talking about money tonight with tithing. And uh, who pays off this world? When Jesus went to, uh, uh, was taken into the wilderness, Satan said, hey, I will give you everything that you can see if you fall down and worship me. Jesus didn't say, you don't have the right to do that. Jesus didn't say, uh, you're not the one who can do it. He sim simply quoted a scripture and said, hey, don't, don't try to tempt me here. I'm not going to do it. Satan is the God of this world. Now, that doesn't mean everybody with funds uh, is of Satan. We have many, many very good Christian uh, people who've been blessed abundantly. But it does mean that if you are operating within his realm and you're doing what he wants, you are going to uh, proliferate in the things of this world. Uh, if, you look at, if you look at some of the things that go on in this world and many of those People and factors have great deals of money. Uh, Rolling Stones and, and all the entertainment and everything that is often anti-God, they're rewarded with money. And so not only are Mormons really good with networking, um, they are uh, blessed materially. And I would have to suggest it is because their kingdom is of this world. And I think we're going to be able to prove that in 2011 shows. We have Brent in Salt Lake City. He's a first-time caller. We're going to go to him. Brent, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, Sean, I have a question for you. Yes. Um, in the book of Malachi, it talks about, it says that, you know, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. One translation of the Bible says, meat. King James. In the Old, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel brought the tidings in the form of crops and grains and fruits and vegetables. How did we go from crops and grains and fruits and vegetables to currency? Can you explain that, please? I can't explain it. I know they never paid in dollars. They never paid in currency. So that is interesting. Uh, but, you know, they were an agrestic and an agrarian society. They lived maybe not so much. They probably bartered more among themselves. And so the way they would pay what their income was was through eggs and flour and, and, and wheat and whatever else they, they had. So I think that we could reasonably assume that, you know, we don't have to be consistent with the Old Testament practices in terms of how we give. Uh, but I do think that uh, it's just, do you give? Today, we are more of a, 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 a monetary, 
we function off dollars and gold and silver. And so uh, I, I, doubt, I, I doubt your pastor would appreciate you bringing in a couple donkeys for your, uh, for your tithing for the year or something. But that's why they, how they did it then. And that's the best thing I can explain. Dan in Swan Valley, Idaho. He's a first-time caller. Dan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hello, Dan. You're on the air. I'm on the air? Yeah, you got to turn your TV down. The TV's off. You're on the air. With me. Hi, Sean. This is Sean. Hi, Sean. Dan, how are you doing tonight? Doing well. How are you, Dan? Very well. Uh, one quick question. Yes. Now, what percentage, what percent do people pay for tithing, number one? Uh, 10%. In the Mormon church. And number two, um, how do you become a Mason? Oh, uh, yeah, I just kind of answered that one, Dan, but I think you become a Mason by being invited in. I, I think it, it happens by being invited, but I've never been a Mason, and I haven't studied that much about Masonry except for the rituals. So, uh, Oh, just the ritual of Mason. Because I know my oldest brother's a Mason, uh-huh. but it was given to him... He's got a mason ring, and I don't understand it because I'm the youngest. He's got a mason ring? Yeah. Uh, sorry, i got to get this paper. It's driving me nuts. <laughs> I was trying to get Derek's attention, but he's over there texting. <laughs> he's going to get mad at me for that. Okay. Huh. He, he, you're, you're kind of breaking up. And... Yeah, uh, your brother's a mason. He wears the ring, and uh, I don't know what he had to do to get one, but I have a feeling he had to be invited. I, I, I believe that's probably the truth. You probably do have to be invited. And I believe, I think, I'm not sure, but you have to be the eldest son. Oh, really? To I, become a Mason? I didn't know that. I, didn't, I, don't, I don't know if that's true, if you have to be the eldest son. Oh, okay. Well, I appreciate your time for some of your answers. And the, the last question, once again would be, now you have to pay 10% to the church to be able to get into the fire temple. insurance? Get into the temple, and yeah, it's supposed to be fire insurance. All right, my friend? Thank you so much, Dan. Okay. Uh, while we're waiting, we got Mike from Salt Lake City, Utah. i got to read this letter to you. It's classic. This uh, went to the mayor of Spanish Fork, from a, uh, whose name is Wayne Anderson, and it's regarding uh, Heart of the Matter, which airs twice daily. Dear Mayor, I am writing about the program above. It is very offensive to our household and a mockery on a religious basis. Mr. McCreary claims to be some kind of minister and claims to have been excommunicated from the LDS Church. He preaches on every program things that are offensive material against the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and its leaders. He states on the airways that Joseph Smith was a false prophet as well as the leaders today. He states that the Book of Mormon was a made-up document, that it was not from God, as well as the Pearl of Great Price. He states that the Melchizedek priesthood never existed. And it only appears in a phony LDS Bible. I'm sorry. A camel. He states that all members are not Christians, plus many other untruths that he makes up against the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
I don't care if he preaches his version of whatever church he's a member of, however, I do care when all of his program is spent cutting down the LDS church. Since Spanish Fork CN is the provider of Channel 20 of the airwaves in Spanish Fork, you have the responsibility, Mayor, to ensure that offensive broadcasting is not permitted. This rule applies through the FCC as well. Please respond to my submitted complaint stating what action the city and Spanish Fork will take against this mockery of the LDS faith. Signed, David Olson. So, David, uh, I got to tell you, uh, you need to, one, get a library card. You need to go and go to utlm.org. And I think what you're going to find out, David, is that the mayor of Spanish Fork can't do anything because the stuff I talk about is all factual. So you say I speak all these untruths and things. It's really factual, having been a member for 40 years. So I hope you get that. Uh, let's go with Mike in Salt Lake City, Utah. Mike, you are on Heart of the Matter. Hello? Hello, Mike. You're on the air. How are you doing? How you doing, Sean? God bless you and your uh, ministry. Thanks, Mike. Uh, I was just, you know, it just dawned on me, you know, uh, I guess all this is uh, for salvation, you know, uh, paying tithes and doing the temple work, but it says in the Bible someplace, doesn't it? that we're not saved by corruptible things like gold and silver, Amen. the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You know, when he talked to the rich young ruler, he told me, he, he didn't tell him, you know, sell all your stuff and give it to me and follow me. He said, give it to the poor and follow me. You know, we've brought nothing in this world. We're taking nothing out. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, when he talks about the riches of this world, you know, our Savior does, you know, uh, they're not nothing can be be compared with what God has prepared for us. He says, I has not seen, ear has not heard, or entered in the hearts of men what God has prepared for them that love him. Jesus brought his grace. And what grace is, is unmerited mercy and favor. The mercy closes the doors of hell, and the grace opens the doors of heaven, because grace gives us what we don't deserve, and mercy stops us from getting from what we do deserve. So what it does is it puts it in the, in the hands of our Savior. Amen. So that we can receive from God what is freely given. Because what he did on the cross, it was a finished work. It wasn't done in the garden. He said it was finished on the cross. And I just thought I'd bring that up. As a great point. I appreciate it. Those words are going to touch somebody somewhere in this world. And they're very meaningful. So I really appreciate, appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, listen, we, uh, a friend, I don't know if you can see this, but he was watching TV at 2 a.m. in the morning. And you know how you can get the menu, the electronic menu? It's like the old TV guy, but it shows you everything that's on. And he took a picture of this. You can't really see. I don't expect you to close in on it. But the picture says here on the BYU channel, Joseph Smith, colon, blessed be his name. Blessed be his name. So, you know, uh, there's a Christian song that says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. You know what that comes from? It comes from scripture in the Old Testament. It comes from uh, Psalms. And that is the, uh, the psalmist writing praise and worship to God. And here at 2 a.m. in the morning, there on the all channels uh, TV uh, options, it says, Joseph Smith, blessed be his name. Hey, uh, you out there in Spanish Fork, I hope you uh, check that one out too. Take the paper away from your mic. There's no paper near my mic. All right. Is there any point that excuses LDS from tithing, such as teaching, serving in the LDS church? 
I don't believe you are required to pay tithing when you're on a full-time mission. So those missionaries are excluded. I'm pretty sure that's the truth because they're not earning any money. They're only living off uh, what their parents send them. Uh, but I think everybody else, people who work for the church, no matter what you do, if you're getting paid, you pay your tithing. So it's interesting because if you work for the church, the tithing dollars help pay for your income and then you get paid that income and then you pay that from the tithing dollars and then you pay tithing on that. So it's an ingenious little system. Okay, uh, this is from Joe Seeley. If, talking about the 12 apostles, it says, if these men are supposedly 12 apostles, the Mormons, shouldn't they be able to do the same things as the apostles in the Bible did, like Jesus said, heal the sick, uh, know who and when a person is to die, things like that, like the apostles did in Acts chapter 4 and 5. Why isn't there any news reports on these men doing these wondrous acts? I asked them, 12 apostles, answer, somebody call in, you know, uh, Boyd Packer, call us in and tell us. Could it be that after they all aren't what they claim to be? It's amazing how clear things start to be after the truth is revealed by reading the Holy Word and learning the historical facts uh, found that, uh, that back up the stories of the Bible. It's scary knowing how many deceivers are out there in this world and by reading and researching and hearing explanations, know that God speaks his truth. Let's go to Bill in Centerville. Uh, people are getting cut off on the phones and are cutting out. The phones are all messed up, so keep trying. 801-973-TV20. Bill, let's go to Bill in Centerville. He is a first-time caller. Bill, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? Hello, Bill. You're on the air. Hi. I was just wondering, I like your show, but I'm kind of confused about the bullhorn and the howdy partner because to me it, it kind of diminishes the authenticity of validity of what you are trying to teach. And I'll take my answer from you off the air. Thank you. All right, ma'am. Uh, let's give Bill a second to get to his TV and turn it back up. Well, Bill, this is how it started. We, uh, we had no money in order to build the set. And uh, so we built the set out of wood from a trash bin at Sutherland's uh, about five years ago. And I knew that I wanted something where uh, surfers, TV channel surfers, would go by and they would have to stop. And they would say, what is that disaster there on the screen that I am looking at? And so I wanted to put something that, you know, I am a cowboy at heart. I'm a Johnny Cash fan through and through. I always wear cowboy boots. I'm from Southern California, but I've worn them there for the past three or four decades. And uh, so Howdy Partner was funny to me because... Um, I love cowboys. I wanted people to feel like it was friendly, but it was hokey enough to get people irritated by it. And I think the horns, I don't know why they're disingenuous. I mean, I think they, they, they look good. They kind of symbolize uh, death and uh, get people to think about it, and they get people to stop. So that's what the whole deal is. Now, if you call and said, what's this doing on my desk? I would not be able to explain that, except that it's a great-looking product, and it's fun to play with. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. We got another email here. No, go to hotm.tv, and these fine products are uh, there, and uh, you will be impressed with the products, maybe not the salesperson. Hey, Sean, uh, I have a question about the ministry getting involved in the 2012 elections. This is because in a newsletter we just sent out, I, we kind of uh, explained how that is going to happen. Uh, in the past episode of The Part of the Matter, I thought 
you said Christian churches are entering the political fray incorrectly. My question is, what is your approach going to be and what areas will be addressed and will it involve both parties? Uh, this is uh, from Andy. And so the book here is called, If My Kingdom Were of This World, Then Would My Servants Fight? And it's a, a believer's refusal to join popular Christian culture. And what this book is all about, it's a biblical explanation about how, as Christians, Jesus did not come and give us the directive to get out and be politically involved. Now, it doesn't mean individual Christians can't be called to that. I think they can. However, today we are known more for what we are against as Christians, you know, all our, all our fighting and all of our rallies and everything else, than what we are for, Jesus Christ. So this is a, this is a call for Christians to rethink what they are doing. When I say that the shows are going to be involved around the elections, what we're talking about is not necessarily who's running for president and who's not. It's just going to be about what is our purpose? Is our purpose to sanctify and try to save this world from certain destruction? Or is our purpose to use our time and, 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 uh, and uh, gifts and talents and everything to try to find people who need the Lord and to try to help them with the difficulties they face in life? Now, so we'll be going into all that, but it's not going to be that I'm taking a political position. I'm taking a position that I believe completely defends the Bible, that as a body of believers, we have no business being identified as this is the Christian uh, coalition. This is the right, the Christian right going into fight politics. That was not what Jesus did. That's, what not, that's not what we are supposed to do. So that's what the whole show is going to be about. Now, 2011 is going to be about how the Mormon church has made politics and the kingdom of this world and all their people, Glenn Beck, et cetera, et cetera, they, they are moving to try to take over the world politically. They want to be involved in that, and they are the antithesis of what Jesus told us to be. And that will be kind of the point of the whole year. So, uh, And we'll be going into their finances. We'll be going into uh, the kingdoms they establish, what their history has been regarding it, what they are doing today, et cetera, et cetera, relative to what Christians need to be doing, in my opinion. Okay, let's go to Jody in Spanish Fork. Hope she's not the mayor's wife. Jody, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, Sean, if you had a chance to talk at an LDS funeral, what one verse would you quote? Someone from the audience just whispered something. Uh, probably uh, Romans 10.9. Romans what? Romans 10.9. I think that's it. Let me look. I make mistakes in this area at times. Romans 10.9 says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And then it goes on to say, actually it's 9-13, through 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So at 9.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord of the Lord shall be saved. If I was had to give one verse, it would probably be that. Okay, thank you. And I am from Spanish Fork, and we do appreciate your show. Good. T right, tell your mayor so that he doesn't, doesn't get the governor to come beat me we up. We certainly will. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. We're going to Marcus in Salt Lake City. He's a first-time caller. Marcus, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, hello? Hey, Marcus, got to turn your TV down. I'm sorry? 
You have to turn your TV down, that you're on the air. Okay, yeah, the TVs are down. Okay, good. What's your question? Can, can, can you hear me? Yeah, you're on the air. Oh, I'm actually on the air? You're actually on it. Yeah, so am I on the air? Or? You're on the air. I have a feeling your TV's uh, on, too. Okay, do I go ahead and, and ask the question? Yeah, because you're, you're on with the host right now. Okay, I'm well, the basically, host. I'm sorry? I'm the host. You have to turn okay, your TV I, you have to turn your TV down, Marcus, all the way. Yeah, my TV's down all the way. Okay, then we're having a problem with the phones. You are on the air right now. Go. Okay, go. Go. Hey, hey how you doing? Doing good. Yeah, so uh, my question today is basically the LDS organization as a whole, the church, I just wanted to know, do they have any, I guess, do they have any say-so whether or not the Christian nation worldwide, like, don't come into Utah or Salt Lake? Why don't other, other church organizations or any other organizations come and have, like, their... Uh, I guess, I guess, big meetings or big, uh, like, T.D. Jake, for instance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot real straight with you here, okay? First point, Marcus, there are many, many churches and pioneer church planters who have come to Salt Lake. And many of them are here. There are, there are, there's a lot of Christian churches, actually, in Salt Lake and in Utah, Ogden, all of Utah. But they are, they, uh, and they're getting stronger. But why the big guys don't come in here? And I'm going to use some names. Why, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, why the Franklin Grahams? Uh, why, the, why the T.D. Jakes? Uh, and these guys who have the big revivals don't come in here? Right. Is it like, why do they stay out of Utah? Is it because the LDS has that much control over government? It's or, not the control. The, the... It's the control over the people. There are so many people who are LDS here. If, if someone like Billy, uh, Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham, came to Utah to do a revival, you might get how many people? You might get what? It, it takes so, they've had very big Christian bands come, and you, they've had 50 people show up. The apathy in the state from the body of Christ is, is one thing. It's almost pathetic. But even if they came out in droves, it wouldn't be enough money-wise to get those big names here. I, I believe, I could be wrong, I put, but I believe Greg Johnson in his ministry, Standing Together, has tried to get big names in here. And they can't do it because there's not enough cash to fill enough seats to make it worth their while. Right, because I, I just feel that, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's rare that, yeah, things like that occur or would occur in a place like this with so many LDS. But that's my that's my point exactly. It's much needed. Like we need a revival. We need something to shake up the LDS organization because I believe it's it's overrated, and I believe the you know that these souls are going to be led astray. Like they are are lost. So I would agree. I just feel I agree with you totally, Marcus. But let me tell you something. It's got to happen first within the individual Christians in the state. They have to be converted. Then their families have to be converted, and then the churches themselves have to be ca caught on fire before the Lord is going to open up and try to reach this thing. It has to happen with the believers first. And then when that happens, right. I believe that then the Lord will make this whole thing come apart. 
Right, and that's why I just want to commend you for what you do in your show, just because, I mean, the tremendous, you know, impact that you have here. And and I think their feathers need to be shaken anyway. They're, I mean, it, it's it's about time somebody stands up for, for Jesus, I guess you can say, or Christianity, true Christianity. Praise God. And and stop and and stop, you know, what they, they have been trying to hide or what they, they keep secret or you know. Yeah. I agree with you, Marcus. Thank you so much for the call and thanks for watching. Thank you as well. Okay, bye bye. God God bless. YouTube. We're going to William and Bountiful on line two. William, you're on Heart of the Matter. How you doing? <laughs> doing well. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Your phone's a little staticky, but yeah. uh, if you can hear me, then we'll go. Yeah, we're having problems. Uh, we can hear you. Okay. I was just wondering, uh, uh, I like your program. I like what you say and do. But there's also the, this, this if, you, if you don't agree with Mormonism and LDS people, why bash him? Why not talk about your own newfound beliefs in in Christ and a reborn Christian or born again, whatever they call it, instead of instead of keep bashing on the church because the church does do. And I'm not LDS right now. I'm kind of you know on the fence, but they do a lot a lot of good things. And so I'm just kind of wondering. Okay, really quickly, why you would do that? Let me tell Thank you. you. Okay. First of all, in terms of doing a lot of good things, there's a lot of social groups that do a lot of good things. And, and Jesus came because all the good things in the world were not going to save men. So whatever philanthropic and whatever social things they like to say they do, that doesn't mean anything in the scope of salvation for man. Secondly, I was LDS for 40 years, William, and, uh, and I, we lost him. But uh, if you share the message of Jesus Christ only, you will not reach most of the Latter-day Saints because most of them will say, well, we... Uh, we, uh, we, we believe that too. So you have to give them opposing and show them how the Bible teaches against what they say they believe and what their doctrines are. You have to give them some contrast. Otherwise, the LDS will just say, well, we believe that, so we're all good. They don't believe what they even claim they believe. And you have to bring the Bible up and show them how. That's why we do it. Okay, really quickly, Carol works from a prominent LDS person and they are trying to take her job because she is an LDS. She has three kids and has cancer. Welcome to Utah. I got off the phone today with a dear friend of mine who has lost somebody in his life, very important, and his boss called him in here, called him in the office and railed on him for 45 minutes about not being in the LDS church. His boss, it's ecclesiastical abuse. Welcome to Utah. I would tell that the woman who has that, uh, uh, the cancer and her kids and has the job to start taking notes every time they try to uh, sway her with being Mormon in this state. And then I would contact